0: And I am Aware Now. Aware Now, the official platform for causes. Tune in and turn it up as we raise awareness one story at a time for the causes that tie us all together. First and foremost, I want to say thank you so much, the both of you, for joining me here for this conversation on Aware Now. Really appreciate you both, so thank you.
1: Thank you, Allie. Nice to be here. Yeah,
0: happy to be Uh So here's the thing. Passion comes in many forms. When it comes to the Embry Family Foundation, let's see here. Passion is embodied in the following. Advocacy, mm-hmm. racial equity, human rights awareness, Arts for Social Change, Gender Equity, Social Justice, and Collaborative Connections. Mm-hmm. Regarding all of these passions, I'd like to get personal with both of you. Let's begin, Lauren. In yeah. looking back at all the Foundation has done, is there a certain project or a specific moment that you felt personally most passionate about?
1: Well, I think what I'd like to say to that, Ali, and thank you for that question, is there's been so many amazing and magical moments. And I think in not being specific right now, I'd like to say that I think what I loved the best were the times where I got that like intuitive gut hit. You know, I really believed in coming from the heart first and listening to the intuition first and then using my head for the discernment and the diligence. But the heart coming first, not the head coming first in my decision making. So I could get that real intuitive hit like, wow, that sounds like a really great project. That's a super good initiative. It really feels like it's fitting some gaps filling in in some space that's necessary and really like to help support that and what could we potentially help to do to get that going for you because it was usually seed funding and that was the thing that was most exciting for me and for us was finding these new projects new leaders as well just finding that really great charismatic vibrant leader that really has a passion for the work that they're doing and really knows their stuff and we really wanted to get behind and say let's help support you so that these people these projects and these initiatives these people could have a little breath, a little space in some of these new launches that they were trying to get off the ground so that they could really do what they needed to do to move it forward. And then once proven, there were always people there to fill in the money afterwards. So we loved going in in the beginning and really getting something going and doing the seed funding, helping new leaders, helping charismatic programs, etc. like I said.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now getting specific, the one thing that I think For all of us, really, I think I'm speaking for the whole for all of us was the racial equity and justice work that we did here in the city of Dallas. We started an initiative, which really would have been more of a forum, because there weren't really stated ways that we were going to do this. We were just Mm -hmm. kind of learning as we went. And it was called Dallas Faces Race. And we started that in conjunction with another family foundation back in 2012. And it was very strategically thought through with a steering committee of people from different walks of life within the community that cared very much about this work. So it was very diverse and um, filled with the ideas of equity not knowing exactly what that meant, but as we moved down the path, learning more and more about what that was. And so we did trainings, we had conversations, we brought forth healing modalities, we were really open and honest in conversation so that people could really tell their stories and we could listen to their stories. And it was really the days of where people were saying, we're not going to go in and tell you what to do. We're going to listen to you and then we're going to work together to see how we can help you make that happen and support your capacities to do brilliance in your community you're the ones that know your community so really dallas faces race not to get because a lot of detail around it that i won't get into um really really planted some seeds in this community that i really think was helpful and where we are now, which is being open and recognized and wanting to be different in the realm of racial equity and inclusion and justice within the Dallas, the city of Dallas. and our communities. So Mm -hmm. that's what I'd say was really rises to the top because it had a lot of longevity to it. We really built communities. We met so many amazing people. We broadened our circles. We were able to hook people up, you know, connect people up together that could work together. And then we would just sit back because it wasn't our job to be doing it in their communities. So that I would say was really, you know, with the seed funding and then the really bringing people together in collaborative ways where their voices were uplifted and not our own. Mm Mm-hmm. which is very contrary to philanthropy. A lot of times it's the donors' voices that are uplifted. Um, but I, that is changing, definitely. Not so much the people that are doing the work. Thankfully, that has changed. But that's what I would I would offer up as one of my faves.
0: Well, you know, I have to say I love how you just spoke to the fact that we, it wasn't that you were there to speak out about a subject, but rather to say, we want to listen. And uh, so people often didn't talk about like the voices that are heard, but it's it's about um the listening so often i mean this is why we have one mouth and two ears correct so the fact that uh, you are mindful of that ratio and knowing that that was what was needed not um more than anything i think so often we have a need to be heard to be seen and to be heard and that your foundation supported that in that moment in that way i think is absolutely phenomenal. Um, you know, and so in speaking about all that the foundation has already done, I guess my next question is for you, Lindsay, and looking forward to all that your foundation can do. Is there a personal story of your own that you can share that really drives your passion and direction for the work that, that you're doing? Um,
2: actually, I don't have a specific, like, one story to tell, because it's mostly a culmination of watching all the things that my mom has accomplished, um, because she would bring me to events, I would go to all these things that would be what she was, uh, trying to accomplish, and i meet all these people, and, you know, I was just, like, a dancer, I was in school, I was just, like, this is just what my mom does, but then, through the years, like, seeing the actual impact that's that it's made, all these things that people have been saying to her, like, I was like kind of like oh wow my mom actually is accomplishing so much when like I've been so focused in my own world in my own field um and you know and then once COVID hit like I didn't have my field anymore and when my mom approached me about taking over the foundation like I didn't know what my future was going to be I didn't know if I wanted to still dance I didn't know like what I really wanted and then thinking about like What I love about dance is that I can connect to people and I can maybe give them a moment of breath or a moment of relief or a moment of like being seen or being heard or understood, whichever the piece can make them feel. And, and, you know, I mean, I feel like that goes inside with philanthropy. Like you're trying to make a difference. You're trying to make life easier for people. You're trying to build people up. You're trying to give them the things that they don't have and that they need. So yeah. Yeah, it's just like the, like bridging those two things and also just like seeing what my mom's accomplished and hoping that I can do at least one eighth of that. So <laughs>
1: nice. this of course is one of my favorite moments as well, which is Lindsay saying yes and taking over, you know, it's a difficult transition to think about leaving yeah. and moving on, especially after the grand experience that I had. But of course it's time and it's very exciting to see what he's going to do and what he's going to bring and what's mm-hmm. going to happen forward. Mm-hmm. So. That's one of my favorite moments. Also, is this one?
0: Well, it's it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, you know, it's a, so here's the thing: it's it's easy to back what's popular and to fund what's trending. It's a bit more difficult to go against the grain and to give to something not widely supported. My next question is: Can you share a time in the history of the Embry Family Foundation, Lauren, when you stood up in support of a cause? when others hesitated or
1: refused? Well, in answer to that question, a little bit about my personality, Ali, is I love to go against the grain actually really really enjoy it and that was kind of part of the seed funding was recognizing these things that no one was recognizing at that moment yet because it was something new and really being able to stand up for the movement forward in the world and knowing that I had a platform to do such and I wasn't afraid to say the hard things I wasn't afraid to say what people necessarily didn't want to hear in especially privileged white folks like myself to speak very honestly. So I actually enjoyed going against the grain and shaking things up a little bit because, you know, I need to get shaken up. I mean, for my own consciousness elevation and my own awareness, I need to get shaken up. So by presenting that to others as well, You know with kindness and care of course but also stating the facts as i saw them it was greatly accepted by folks as well too which was surprising it was kind of like the time was right for it and people no pushback like people really accepted what i was saying um, when I was speaking out in voices for say, you know, communities of color and how we needed to change or, you know, human trafficking, uh, child sexual exploitation, sex trafficking. that Those would have been a lot of the areas that we got into that were newer. Uh, in particular, people weren't aware of child sex exploitation and trafficking in America at the point that we got involved in that. And then we got very involved also in some new initiatives that were around women in politics. Um, and we funded that research where women, everything was about their appearance. It wasn't necessarily about the work they were gonna do or what they were gonna say it was about how to respond when you get these attacks, when you're running for office and things of that sort. So those would have been a couple of the uh, areas that I guess weren't quite, people weren't aware of yet. It hadn't reached a level of people understanding that this issue is actually happening out there and what can we do about it? Um, But it is a a gender issue, a race issue, gender and race together for the most part. Mm -hmm. So I would say that what I enjoyed was using my own voice as well too, to Mm -hmm. help share and elevate and expand the awareness around what I was seeing and what I was hearing from people in listening to the stories communities mm-hmm. uh, of the suffering, shall we say? I'm going to use that word, actually, the inequities and the sufferings of the folks. Um, so, yeah, I've always enjoyed doing that. So. We'll see what Lindsay decides to do. But that was like, that was a real marker, I believe for us. And if you talk to people in the community or nationally that we funded, I think that's something that they would probably say, you know, they were willing to go in and do the things that nobody else wanted to do.
0: Well, thank you so much for shaking things up and not being afraid to do so. um, Because that's what we need. I mean, it's, it's, you can't just sit and preach to the choir all day long because it's not the choir members who need to be, uh, you know, woken up, uh, who need to be shaken. So, for uh, for doing that, thank you so much.
1: Well, Ally, you know, in the in the foundation world, those donors are put on pedestals. And really, you don't get like no one really will come to you and say, oh, you know, I don't think that's right. And usually, you know, early on in the career, it was if we wanted to fund it, they'd be happy to do it. But it might not necessarily been the best thing for them to do as far as looking at their operating budget and different things of that sort, which luckily that has transformed and changed to where now it is more of a collaboration, as I mentioned in the last question, around what the communities need and not doing what the donor wants. Right. Right. Yeah.
0: Sure. Well, so in 2016, um, Lauren, you wrote an article that was published uh, as the first in a series, my passion, my philanthropy, the woman's e-news. I did some digging. And, uh, you know, in this piece, you speak about the many you can't, you're a girl messages that you received, not only from society in general, but your own personal circles as well. It was very interesting to read, like from driving a moped, as you referenced, to training for the Olympics, you were deterred because of your gender. So my next question is, what work for gender equality has your family's foundation, of all that it's done, what are you proudest of there?
1: Well, it was really our main focus and our main pillar there for a while in many different ways, and definitely both... The racial equity and the gender equity hearken back to my own experience in life, which usually is what happens. That's your life circumstances inform what you're interested in funding normally. Right. Um, and so I would say that, you know, really the elevation and awareness, expanding the awareness around once again the sex trafficking um and then how women are treated in politics to reference what i said in the last answer Um, and really what we really loved and what we really dug deep into was uh, young women's leadership initiatives for young women of color uh, in our communities and elevating just black women and women of color overall so that they could have the support for their amazing charisma and capacities that they have available. I'll tell a quick bit. Um, I was at a a movement for black lives funders briefing, and I don't remember what year it was might've been like 2018, 2019. And the black women there were really kind of leading the charge and discussing what was coming up, the strategy, you know, the implementations, the tactics. And I was literally blown away. I was literally blown away by just the breadth of intelligence, the breadth of beauty and charisma that was coming out of all this, these women. And that was really a moment where I sat back and I said, not my time anymore. You know, not my time. My voice doesn't need to be the main voice anymore. This is where the world is moving. And then came back to Dallas, of course, and this was national initiatives and things we were involved in, but really a movement towards really elevating is what I would say, the voices of the women of color in this world to take leadership in their own lives and to put forth the strategies, projects, initiatives that can make things better in their lives, and their communities, because they were the ones that really knew how to do it. Once again, kind of the same thing throughout the, the, all the answers to my questions. But I would say that would be some of what I would be most proud of is really knowing when my voice wasn't the main voice and really was kind of it was kind of a sticky little thing because it was kind of a loss in a sense for me as well too in thinking my voice you know i feel like based on what you just expressed in my article i felt like okay my voice is finally just being elevated and people are listening to me and i'm being able to say what i feel is right and see how well people are open to hearing it and now i'm talking about pulling my voice back in You know, so I had to really have some inner conversations around that and conversations with women of color that I was friends with to really talk through this and and see how that would actually work, knowing that your voice isn't really going to go away. But how are you going to provide that space and that breath to this new person to come in and not take up so much space, knowing that that would be, you know, equity would be provided through that and new thinking would be provided that new way of being be provided through that you know, building cultures in a sense. So. Absolutely. Well,
0: and like to your point, you know, being able to say, okay, I need to share the stage now, you know, and, um, and to offer up that space to share the spotlight and be able to, to allow others to be amplified as well. Um, it's, uh, it's important work that's been done and that continues to be done. Uh, when it comes to gender equity, uh, I mean, it's not the only cause that you're passionate about, Lauren, because like you just spoke about uh, all the the others, one specific that I'd like to talk about is there was a film, Playground, mm-hmm. the documentary about child sex trade in America for which you were an executive producer. Mm-hmm. The trailer alone I watched the other day. I've not yet seen the full film. Uh, that for me was a real wake up call. Mm-hmm. When it comes to philanthropic tools, how important is the medium of film in your opinion?
1: I think it's super important when one of your main tenants and part of your mission is to expand awareness. So we got involved in documentary filmmaking as an investor with a very Savvy group, shall we say, of people that really knew the world of film and investors that wanted to utilize that philanthropic tool to make the world a better place, to expand awareness around the issues they were funding and care about. So we were able to, that provided us with sustainability, shall we say. I think it's a fantastic tool if you choose to use it because it's the arts and arts for social change. I mean, the arts relates to people, can hit you in the heart in a way that shall I say, a lecture on some of the tragedies of the world where you're just seeing the photos, you know, that's hard for many folks. It's important to see, but it's hard for a lot of people to take that in and see where it's really going to go. But when they're looking at it in the world of film and they're broadening their horizon, they're broadening their awareness about what's happening in the world, then they're able, you know, a seed could be planted. Then they'd be like, well, I'm going to give a few bucks to this organization up to, I'm going to get really involved in this issue and see what I can do. And that's why I think it's so powerful. And plus with streaming, I mean, while well, once all that happened, we started before all of the VOD started. So really, it was still just kind of traditional theatrical. And now to where we all now with all the streaming is just, you know, been able to go gangbusters. Right. And really mm-hmm. get many, many more households. So that was mm-hmm. the object of that was to how many people can we can we get this information out to? And film was the way to do it.
0: Well, yeah, and the fact that you bring up that that all important word, word sustainability—that you are able to find a sustainable model for producing this, so it's not just a flash in the pan situation, but rather something that could be continued—and with that sustainability, then be able to scale. Um, it's uh, these are important wins to find. Um, so, Lindsay, okay. after studying dance. At Booker T. Washington High School, for the Performing Arts and Visual Arts. You attended Juilliard. You toured internationally with Galim. Gal- I say Gal- mm-hmm. Galim. 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 Mm-hmm. Galim. Dance, and nationally with the Brian Brooks Moving Company. You've been a dancer all your life. It's your passion. What is it about dance that moves you personally? um
2: well oh God Dan, I feel like that's such a complicated question because it I is. have been for so long I have a very interesting relationship with dance now um but thinking so I'll speak to how I feel about dance at this moment in time it I think it is one of the most honest ways you can express yourself. I do not think the body can lie um and if you just kind of turn off your mind and let your body go you find so many beautiful things about it you find joy you find sadness you find anger you find all the emotions that you hold inside because you mean like the body keeps the score if you've ever read that book or have heard about it yeah like your body well remembers everything that happens to you and the best way to process all of that is just like moving or letting yourself move or being let to move um so yeah that's what i mean and that's what dance means to me it's my purest form of expression it's Myself, it's who I want to be, it's who I'm trying to be, it's who I was in the past. It's it's all of those things that it comes it encompasses all of you. And yeah, and I think it's a beautiful art firm that's nice. greatly underappreciated because you can go so far with it. it um, and yet it's used as a tool of just being impressive and trying to sell you something. But when it's so much more than that, because I mean, if you're like going back to the human race as a start we communicated through body language mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. all the old rituals are all dance based so it's like dance is at our core dance is part of the human condition in my opinion
1: well it's I'll- a beautiful I'll- opinion their trauma oh i'm sorry ali i was no, saying no. that african women work through their trauma mm-hmm. through dance yeah yeah and
0: so I love how you say that it is is—it is a tool in that way. Just like we were talking about film being a tool, dance is a tool. And not only for someone who's sitting in the audience and watching and getting that experience, but for the dancer themselves, to your point, what you just said to find and feel all those emotions. Um, and I quite agree with you that the body can't lie. I think that that's one, so just for you to say that it is this honest, way to express. Um it's that's really beautiful way that's to
2: say it. People are so like con- self-conscious about when they themselves dance mm-hmm. or like when they're moving, people are always like, oh no, don't look at me. Don't look at mm-hmm. me. Cause mm-hmm. then because then you'll see so much. Yes. Truth. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes.
0: Yes. 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 Uh you know, so visual and performing arts, we can all agree, have the power to heal, helping both the artist and the audience move through trauma my question now is is there a trauma of your own a personal trauma that you endured where dance has helped you heal
2: another complicated question because <laughs> the dance world <laughs> in and of itself, after setting, having said all of what i just said the dance world is traumatizing oh. going to juilliard was traumatizing booker t was traumatizing dancing for gleam was traumatizing dancing for brian was traumatizing it's the nature of what it was built on, or the way capitalism has used dance, has made it not what it should be. Even though it's still there at its core, it's all this other stuff kind of messes with it. But in terms of like where dance brought me back something, I um, it was after I was diagnosed with Guillain-Barre, which is an autoimmune disease that attacks your nervous system. And for me, it caused me to lose feeling in my hands and in my feet i couldn't use my legs properly and i actually found i realized it was happening in a dance class i it was like i was gonna get audition ready to go like go over to europe and like do all these auditions and like one of my first classes to like start this journey i was going across the floor and trying to do jumps and i like jumped and then when i landed my legs gave out and i was like that's weird that's never happened before. Like, I'm not that tired. I haven't been dancing all that much, so it shouldn't be that. And mm-hmm. and then like in that, I was like, oh, let me just work out more and let me, like be more physical and then I'll build up that strength again. So that's what I thought it was, but then it never went away. And then I started losing the feeling. Like I couldn't, like the soles of my feet, I couldn't feel anything. So like, I'd be walking around and be like, I hope I'm gonna make it somewhere. Uh, Cause I could just collapse at any minute. But I didn't know it was Guillain-Barre until I went to a uh, neurologist. He did this quick little exam on me. He was like, didn't say a word the entire time. And then we got to the end of the uh, the appointment. And he's like, you need to go to the emergency room ASAP. Like, right now. Because if left untreated, or if not caught, it, you can kill you, basically. You can go to your respiratory system and cause you to stop breathing. Uh so that's what I was working with. So I flew back to Dallas because I wanted to be with my family. Um, it was like a, like went immediately to the emergency room, got a spinal tap, had like, how long was I in the hospital? Like Couple, four yeah, like four days? Mm-hmm. In the hospital for four days. Probably should have been more, but because I wasn't on insurance at the time, they were like, okay, let's expedite this process, which made, which gave me meningitis from the procedure that I had to uh, had to have for it. So my brain swelled and got uh, sent home from the hospital. Couldn't get out of bed for like two or three more days after that. Because like the second I would lean out, my head would just be throbbing. I'd throw up and it was awful. Um, But then, like, when I got back, me and my best friend had created this duet the summer before this all had happened um, called uh, Accumulated and Revised. And We had already been asked to perform it at this uh, small venue in New York City, but like a very popular one. And it was the first time I danced since then. And, you know, I've gone back and I've watched that. You were there for this show, I Mm -hmm. remember. Mm -hmm. Uh, I remember I went back and watched the video of that performance. It was like, "Mm, not my best. (laughs) (laughs) Not (laughs) going to give yourself a break on that. I know. (laughs) Uh, But, like, just but that was like a month after I got out of the hospital and from being told of like other people that had Guillain-Barre are being like reading up about it it's like usually people are left with um, like some kind of residual effect from it and I didn't have any like my legs worked again like I had all feeling everything was fine and so I guess that trauma of almost having my body taken away from me gave me an much more appreciation for what I did and like all the trauma that I've dealt from dance was like oh I but I do like dance is so much a part of me now that like just having that reconnection to my love for it or to the appreciation for it was very much needed because it was also right after Juilliard it was like two three years after school had ended Mm -hmm. so yeah so like I think it came at a very crucial time to be like here's what could be the other side of the coin here's the other option that could have happened to you so
1: right
0: right and just that what a beautiful gift that of perspective you know having gone through that and endured that trauma that that allowed you to look back on your past trauma through a new lens and with new light and just new appreciation um these gifts that come in the weirdest of packages um Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you. Oops. Yeah. Happy to do it. You know, with with all of your family's foundation, everything that's been done and all that it has the potential to do. I mean, there's so much that has to be done. Um there's so much to be thankful for and hopeful for. As you think about The next chapters to write in the Embry Family Foundations story, Lindsay, of all the passion to be penned. What is it that excites you the most about the future and your philanthropy?
2: Uh, I mean I can go back to what I answered in for the first question. It's just just, I want to make a positive impact for people. I want something good to happen for people. And like, and if this is the model that I can do that in, I'll happily do that. Cause I mean, I've, I've lived my life as a dancer, as an artist. That's always been a part of me. I've always wanted to make people happy by what I do as a performer. Um, so it's just like another asset of that. Mm-hmm. It's like, a, just, a, I don't think it's that far off from where I already am. Mm-hmm. I mean, in terms of like business and like accounting and money and all of that stuff, very different. <laughs> but, At the core of what it's trying to do, it's Mm -hmm. kind of, I've kind of already been there my whole life because I also create my own work and when I do create my own work, it's always about audience interaction. It's always bringing the audience in. It's always about making it about them or like letting them know that this performance can't happen without you. Like you're integral to everything that's, like you're integral to the art, you're integral to the performance, you're integral. So it's that same mentality. It's like. I'm here to help build, just make life better for all of us For, but also for people that like don't have the voice going back to what mom said or going back to the people that are scared to do it just mm-hmm. like building up those communities or the people or the environments that just need a little bit of life and need a little bit of love need something mm-hmm. to, like,
1: just yeah, look forward to look
2: forward to because mm-hmm. another, another day is going to come so let's make it a little bit brighter for people to want that day to come to know like oh something good's gonna happen the yeah. next day or be like oh something good happened today i can carry that mm-hmm. and i can move on and do something with it so, yeah it's just like getting us out of this capitalistic rut that is just so exhausting and draining that can really just like broaden people's perspective like there's a way to live your life but there's so much more you There's much options for you to live any way you want to. So,
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, and I like how you say that it's, what a beautiful analogy, what a beautiful comparison when you talk about dance and like the audience. Well, it's not just me up here going, like you're, as an audience member, you're part of this. You're, I love how you said, integral to this, which speaks about connection and that human connection that we have to be able to to find and see and recognize in each other. And the fact that the both of you see that, get that, are doing that in different ways and uh, that passion, dedication to continue to explore that. Um, thank you so much for being here today, for sharing your stories, for helping us learn a bit more about your foundation, about your work, about your passions, getting personal with us. Thank you so much for helping all of us become a bit more aware now.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Allie. You, you can Ali. see why I'm so proud and excited <laughs> now to see what we can do. <laughs>